So if you will take your Bibles and open to Proverbs chapter 9 as we continue in our study together. And uh, Michael Talley has kicked off the, the beginning of this series, the first two uh, sermons, and he introduced the book and he introduced the key focus of the book uh, of Proverbs as that of the wisdom that comes from walking in the fear of the Lord. The wisdom that comes from walking in the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7, if you wanna go there at some point or make a note, uh, just kind of circle that verse. That's the key verse of the entire book because it tells us that wisdom only comes as we fear the Lord, which is uh, really just a way of saying we are in a covenant relationship with Yahweh, with uh, God. And so we're gonna turn to Proverbs chapter nine together this morning and carefully investigate uh, these two calls, these two invitations, if you will. We find one from Lady Wisdom. She's inviting us to her feast that she is diligently prepared. And then there is a counterfeit call there is a counterfeit invitation that comes from the foolish woman folly. So we have two invitations, uh, one to a feast and one to a funeral. So let's read Proverbs chapter nine together. Proverbs nine, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Verse seven, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's a reiteration of Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your, your days will be multiplied and your years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Verse 13, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Let's pray. Father, I pray you would break open your word for us this morning and feed us and nourish us that we would grow in wisdom as we learn what this is and we apply this so that our lives might be skillful and beautiful, that might reflect Christ Lord, we do pray you would center our lives on your name and that during this time, your spirit would move freely among us and speak to us, Lord, and lead us in the way you would have us to go. In Christ's name we pray, amen. One of the biggest mistakes that I make, maybe uh, you make it as well, when it comes to following Christ, when it comes to your spiritual journey, is that of thinking uh, that in our information age we live in, that I reduce Christian discipleship down to a matter of acquiring more knowledge. 
I begin to think that if I will read more books or listen to more podcasts or if I can fill every waking second with just taking in more, more, more uh, theology, more reading, more insight, then I'm going to uh, grow in my Christian walk. That's, that's like uh, saying if I eat more food, I'm going to grow healthier and stronger, right? Well, maybe, but if I choose the wrong kinds of food, like Michael talked about last week, Doritos, I love Doritos. I discovered the Cool Ranch kind about third grade. It changed my life. I was like, man, forget the nacho cheesy stuff. But if I eat Doritos all the time, if that's all I do, I can eat more calories, but am I going to actually get any healthier? No, in fact, I'm going to get sicker because I'm taking in more things that are going to hurt me. And so reducing Christian discipleship down to a matter of acquiring more knowledge is like saying if I eat those Doritos, then I'm going to be healthier. But I may, in fact, die. I may have an elevated blood pressure or cholesterol or something like that. Well, last week, Michael touched on in his sermon on the danger of becoming a professional sermon listener, someone who is professional, adept at acquiring more knowledge as they listen to sermons. And I, when he said that a professional sermon listener, I kind of leaned over out of the way of my wife's elbow, not that she would do that. But I thought the Lord was like, you know, speaking to me, man, that I think if I can just take in more information, if I can hear one more sermon, then I'm going to take that one step of growth. And immediately the Holy Spirit was saying, that's you, that's you. And so I kind of leaned out of the way of her elbow, but the Holy Spirit just, man, he just elbow dropped me when Michael said that. I become a master at consuming Christian content and then I falsely equate that Christian content that I'm consuming with my spiritual growth as if depositing ideas and depositing more beliefs perhaps into my mind container is going to transform me into Christ's likeness. But that's not necessarily the case. If consuming more religious content were the goal, Jesus would have never saved his harshest words in scripture for the Pharisees. He would have applauded them. So yes, following Christ, it does involve taking in sound doctrine. But that's not the whole picture as the Bible depicts spiritual growth for us. James K.A. Smith in a book that our college ministry right now, a few folks are reading, he says this, what if you're defined not by what you know, but by what you love? by what you desire. Let me read that again, track with me. What if you're defined not by what you know up here, cerebrally, intellectually, what if you're not defined by this, but you're defined by what you love and by what you want and by what you desire? One of the big ideas in the book of Proverbs is that our actions tell a lot about us as a person. Our, our, our conduct actually reveals our creed. Our behavior actually reveals our belief because we walk out our beliefs in our behavior on a day-to-day basis. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 11 says this, even a child is known by his deeds. And what is it that drives our deeds? What drives our actions, whether they are good or bad? What drives those actions? It is our, the scripture tells us, it is our desires, So let me give you a simple example that I'm sure all of you can relate to and seems like this happens every week in my home. I've got five kids. A little boy loves a cookie, right? Or it could be a little girl. Little boy loves a cookie and he desires that cookie and he sees that cookie on the table over there and it doesn't belong to him, it belongs to his sister, but it's delightful to the eye. Remember that phrase and his heart desires it. And so when his sister turns her head, He reaches over and he, desiring this cookie, takes it for himself and he stashes it away in his pocket for later. Or maybe he gobbles it up in front of her just to stir her up. That that hasn't happened in my home. 
But I agree with Smith that what we love and what we desire, those things are the driving force behind the words and the actions and the choices that we make every day. That's why Paul says in Galatians chapter five, it is important for us as believers to walk in the spirit. For if we walk in the spirit, we will not gratify or satisfy the what? There's that word, desires of the flesh. Walk in the spirit so that you don't satisfy the desires that are in your flesh. You know why? Because your flesh and my flesh, sinfully, we are all too ready to join the party that woman folly is throwing. She has not a difficult time at all inviting guests into her home. That's why Ben Carson's mother who raised three children on her own, single mother in Detroit, prayed this prayer over her children. Lord, help my boys to want to do what is right. Like forget about praying that for your children and your grandchildren for a moment. Pray that for yourself. Lord, help me to want to do what is right. What is the core of that prayer? God, reorient my boys desires. Rearrange their desires. Recalibrate them because when we get off in our sinful flesh and we pursue woman folly, we get off and we need God to recalibrate us back towards his desires. And so I would say this morning, it is our desires that direct us to the places where we end up. It's what you love that leads you to where you go. And so as we examine these two invitations in Proverbs chapter nine, my question for you today is this. What are the fundamental baseline desires of your heart? Write that question down. Don't just run past it and throw the church answer at me. I was a kid's pastor for almost eight years. I know how that works. Jesus, right? Don't just run to Jesus real quick with your, with your mouth. Go to Jesus with your heart and say, Jesus, inspect here. Show me what really, what do I want? What do I desire? What am I after? When I don't get this certain thing or this relationship, what is it that I become angry and infuriated over? What do I desire? So we're gonna look at these two invitations in our text. The first one comes from Lady Wisdom. This is the invitation to her feast. So last week, Michael gave us the basic outline of the book of Proverbs, and we learned that chapters one through nine are like the introduction. They function like the introduction. And so I'm kind of preaching the conclusion of the introduction from Proverbs 10 and on. You're gonna see all the little sayings, the maxims, the Proverbs that Solomon and others give us to help us walk in wisdom. And the thing I love about this, this book, particularly the first few chapters, it's almost like we're let in on this father and son walk and talk. The other day, uh, Ryan and I went walking and talking together for a little bit. And we needed to spend a little bit of time together uh, and kind of connect in this way. And as we were walking and talking, I thought, you know, that's exactly what Proverbs 9 is. It's like we get to be a little birdie uh, or a bug, as it were, as we were like hiking through the woods. This like kind of riding with us and listening to this intimate conversation between a father and a son as he points us toward the value and the benefits of wisdom and he warns us against the devastation that comes when we pursue the woman folly. And so in this first invitation in verses one through six, you're gonna see wisdom is personified. Wisdom is personified as a classy lady. She's a gracious host. She's providing this lavish feast of the best food and the best drink, all of it made ready for us. She's thought through every little precise detail so the feast is perfect. She's worked diligently to make sure everything is ready. Lady Wisdom in this invitation is described for us as industrious, she is wealthy, and she is concerned for the good of others, the welfare of others. Look at verse one with me this morning. 
The scripture says she has built her house. Like she just went out and built her house. Like she got stuck on Gilligan's Island and just built her house. And she supported it with seven strong pillars. Now, throughout church history, some interpreters have tried to guess at what these pillars might represent. Like pillar one means this and pillar two means that. But I don't think that's the intention of this text at all. I think actually what's going on is this is a metaphor meant to underscore the diligence that Lady Wisdom has gone to to prepare her house, to make sure this feast is perfectly ready. Seven is the number of perfection in scripture. And so I think the point of the preparation of this home that she built this house is that Lady Wisdom's house is perfect in all of its ways. Look at verse two. Verse two says she speaks, uh, it speaks of slaughtering her animals and mixing the wine with spices to make it ready to drink. How many of you on your way to, to church this morning, you got up for breakfast and you slaughtered one of your animals? Anybody? Intentionally? Nobody? Okay, so you're, we're like 0 for 400 or something. Zero people so far this morning got up and slaughtered an animal. That's not a part of our custom. We just go to the pantry and pull out the Pop-Tart and pop it in the oven or something like that. But Lady Wisdom is slaughtering her animals. This is a sign of a luxurious meal in that culture because the meat and the wine that she's serving up for her guests are not everyday fare. Let me put it in common vernacular. This ain't the country diner, Okay. She's preparing a meal for her guests. Verse three mentions Lady Wisdom sending her young women and her maidens out to call those who lack sense to come in. Do you know what that word simple means in the scripture in the Hebrew? It means silly. Like, like you know, fo folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Those who are simple, they're just silly. And hopefully as we grow older, we grow less and less silly and we grow more and more serious about the things that matter. She's calling those who lack sense, who are silly to come to her feast. But at the end of verse five, I want you to notice something. Look at the end of this invitation. There is a price to be paid if you would go into Lady Wisdom's feast. If you would enter in the door of her house and eat everything she's prepared for you, the price that you must pay is this. You must turn from your foolish ways and turn into her home. There is a turning from and there is a turning to that happens in the scripture. And you think about what Paul says. He says, put off the old self in the epistles and put on the new self. There is a taking off and a putting on. There is a turning from and there is a turning to. We simply can't have it both ways. So the price tag means parting with our old way of life if we would come into her house. But we'll notice in a moment that woman folly won't demand anything from you. Think about the times that you've been tempted by the enemy to bite that hook that looks so good. You don't see the hook, do you? You see the bait and it looks good and it's alluring and it's appealing and, and you just feel this sense of like, if I just have that thing, if I have that relationship, I'm going to be happy. She won't demand anything from you. She promises pleasure asks nothing in return, but in the end, you will pay the price for going her way. That's verses one through six. The second part is this sandwiched in summary. As you read this this morning, you may be saying, well, how does that fit with these two invitations? You have invitation from Lady Wisdom, you have an invitation from Woman Folly, and somewhere in the middle, there's all these different sayings. I call this the sandwiched in summary in verses seven through 12, and it fits perfectly. Let me explain why. At first glance, it looks like this section in the middle is kind of butting in on Lady Wisdom's invitation. Like she was calling you, she was calling me to come in, and then this section sort of showed up and 
knocked her off her course. But in fact, this section actually helps to summarize the results of choosing lady wisdom or the results of going with woman folly. Let me show you what I mean. Three principles in this section that quickly come out. The first one is this. A person is known by how he or she responds to correction and instruction. A person is known by his deeds, the proverb tells us. Even a child, we are known by how we respond to correction and instruction. So when somebody calls you on the carpet, so to speak, for something you've done or an error that you perhaps have made, what's the response of your heart? Do you get angry? Do you get infuriated? Does that fire burn? And you're thinking, well, I'm just gonna tell them off. I'm just gonna set them straight. Yesterday, this happened to us. We went to see the Blowing Rock Parade and um, I told the first service, man, if you've been to Blowing Rock, the town really thought through, uh, there's like seven parking spaces for the entire town. And there was 50, 11,000 of us trying to get in there to see this parade. And so we go in there and we're looking for a spot and we're pulling all around and we go through this parking deck and this parking deck had about 12 spots in the parking deck, uh, but it didn't even have a top level. So I couldn't figure that out. Well, this woman pulls in in front of us in this little Prius. You know, you know what a Prius is? It's about as big as this drum here. She pulls in in this front of this little Prius and she pulls up and I realize about the time she does that all the spots are full. Well, I'm thinking she's going to back up in front of me. She has plenty of room and she's gonna do a what point turn? A three point turn. No, she puts it in reverse and starts wobbling backwards towards me. So I throw my van in reverse because I'm like, she doesn't see me. My mom's behind me and like two other cars are behind her. And she thinks this whole line is gonna back up for her and just move out of her way as she fishtails her way out of there. So she pulls up beside me and rolls her window down and goes, it's full. And I wanted to be like, I know. (laughs) And I could feel this like, fire burning. I could feel my flesh saying, let her have it. You know, she's like my granny's age. I can't do that. You know, I shouldn't do it anywhere. Right. But I feel inwardly my flesh like rising to the surface. And what I, what I said, I think is what I said. I hope is what I said was if you'd have just done a nice three point turn and pulled out, we could have all pulled in here behind you, you know? So she backs out and yells at my mom, what are you doing? It's fall, you know? And, and, and I thought, you know, I'm looking at her and I'm kind of amazed at her response, but inwardly, what's, what's my flesh doing? Just rising up, right? Just coming up. Man, I just wanna let her have it. A person is known by how they respond to, to, to correction instruction. So when somebody yells at you, it's full. What's your response? Verse 10, wisdom only comes from a relationship with the Lord. Walking in the fear of the Lord is an Old Testament way of saying that you're in a covenant relationship with Yahweh. So as you grow in your relationship with God, it will naturally inevitably lead to a wiser life because you walk in the spirit, you put on the, the, the new, right? Paul says, not in a sense that you, you, you work for your salvation, but you put on Christ, Romans 13 tells us, and we walk in the spirit. And he does away with the foolishness. But listen, you can't put the cart before the horse. You can't try to get God's wisdom before you have God. If you try to do that, you are simply walking in moralism. The scripture tells us we have to have God, we have to have a relationship with him before we receive his wisdom. And then finally in verse three, we see, whether we choose wisdom's feast or folly's funeral, listen to this carefully, we will bear the consequences ourselves. We will bear the consequences ourselves. Think of Adam and Eve. All they had to do was not eat from one tree in the garden, right? 
Just one tree. Like if I told you don't sit in that front corner chair right there, you've got 600 other chairs. You, you would think, well, gosh, I could easily pick any chair in this room and it should be a simple matter of decision, right? But as soon as you're told not to do something, what does your flesh start rising up doing? Man, I want that thing. Think about Cain and Abel. Think about King Saul. Think about King David. Each one of them went their own way instead of seeking God and they missed out on God's wisdom. Each one felt the heat of their own choices. So here's what I think verse 12 is saying to us. We cannot offload the consequences, good or bad. We cannot offload the consequences of our choices onto someone else. Are you guys listening to me, kids, teenagers? Are you guys, we can't offload the consequences of what we choose onto someone else. We will bear it for ourselves. You know why? Because wisdom has its fruit and folly has its fruit. In verses 13 through 18, we see Folly's invitation. After the clarion call to Lady Wisdom's feast comes the siren song of woman folly. After the clarion call to Lady Wisdom's feast comes the siren song of woman folly. And Folly is pictured here as a seductive woman, as an alluring woman who delights in drawing you in and she delights in drawing undiscerning people away from God's wisdom and from God's truth. Look at how she is described in the scripture. She is loud, she is boisterous, she is undisciplined, she is lazy. And everything that wisdom offers, what does woman folly want to do? Woman folly wants to come along and offer you a counterfeit that sounds appealing, but in the end, it brings death. She is so foolish, in fact, that she sits outside her, her house that she didn't even build and she shouts out her menu, stolen water, secret bread, come in and eat it. See, woman, woman Folly's not even building her house. She's just lazily, slovenly, kind of sitting in the chair, you know, not even looking ladylike. And she's just calling out to whoever will foolishly enter into her house. Stolen water, secret bread. Her food is stolen. Her bread is secret because in fact, she absolutely has nothing to offer to you. She has to go steal somebody else's stuff to give you something. And so when you go with woman folly, understand what you are doing. You are choosing pleasure that is delightful to the eye, but it is hollow and deceiving at its core. She has nothing to offer to us. Why do we go that way? Why do we go after woman folly? Henry Ironside, Harry Ironside said this, men are so ready to give heed to folly that she needs no help in gathering a crowd. We're so ready to go into her party and hang out with her and do what she calls us to do. Why? Because our flesh rises up and when we see that invitation to woman folly, we don't even think twice about it because we just want to be pleased. But sadly, verse 18 warns, the crowd that wanders into her house has no idea they are stumbling into their own grave. Just like those who went before. I've done 27 funerals in my time in ministry. I've yet to see somebody intentionally climb down into that hole, into that grave themselves. Everybody wants to stay as far back away from that hole as they can. They don't wanna go there. But what does verse 18 tell us? If we go with woman folly, we are jumping down into our own grave. So you know whose funeral it is you're attending if you go her way? Yours. Aiken says, like a cow walking into a slaughterhouse, you don't even know you're about to become filet mignon. So there it is, Proverbs 9. Two invitations 
from two very different ladies with two very different agendas for your life. And the reality is you can't escape your choice. It demands a decision. One is offering life. The other wants to lure you into death. But listen, this isn't the first time, if you've read the word of God, this isn't the first time that we've seen in scripture that we hear God calling out wisdom and instruction and there's a counterfeit that comes along. In Genesis chapter two, God instructed Adam and Eve not to eat from this one tree, like I said earlier. Don't touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't even eat it. Watch this. What is he offering to them? You can have the rest of the garden, but leave that one tree alone. Don't, don't eat from that. He gives them wisdom. He gives them instruction. And what do they want to do? They want to eat the one thing they're not supposed to do. Do you hear the language of the Proverbs? This wisdom and instruction, these consequences that will come. And just eight or nine verses later, if you count down, go right through the end of chapter two into three, who comes along? Satan. Just like woman folly. Remember, Lady Wisdom gives this invitation. She gives wisdom. Here comes woman folly. Here comes Satan. And he's calling God's wisdom into question. And he's offering you and he's offering an alternative that looks appealing to the eye. You say, well, where do you see that? Look at Genesis chapter three and verse six. As Eve reached out for the fruit, the scripture tells us it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise. Do you hear the similarity between Genesis two and three and between Proverbs chapter nine? It's as if Satan is saying, here, just reach out and take it. Just, just take the money, stick it in your pocket. Nobody's gonna know. Take the shortcut. Don't, don't tell them the truth. They'll never find it out. It's gonna be good. Listen, you know you want it. And one of the greatest tragedies of life after Genesis three is this disgusting distortion of our desires. Instead of pursuing God, what have we done? All of us. We make little gods, little G gods for ourselves out of a million different things and we pursue them to our own demise. And wisdom is calling out and saying, don't go that way, come my way. The Bible calls that idolatry when we pursue anything else instead of God. And so our twisted and depraved desires for pleasure outside of God's boundary lines lead us on a death march towards our own funeral. We desperately need the Lord to reorient our desires to where they ought to be. And so the obvious question we have to ask of ourselves then is this, well, how do we get there? How do we get this chokmah? How do we get this wisdom that God wants us to possess that makes life beautiful and makes life skillful and makes us pleasing before God, the scripture tells us the answer is in his son, Jesus Christ. See, we can't divorce God's wisdom from God's son. Write that down. You cannot divorce God's wisdom from God's son. In fact, many commentators throughout history have equated wisdom with God's son. We can't have wisdom if we don't have the son. Paul says in Colossians chapter two that in Christ are found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That means when you're in a relationship of Christ, with Christ, you hit the jackpot where all the wisdom and knowledge of God is contained in this person, in Jesus First Corinthians, it says that Christ, listen to this language, Christ became to us wisdom from God. 
Makes me think about James chapter three, that there's a wisdom that comes from above. It is first pure, peaceable, gentle, and open to reason. The scripture says Christ became wisdom from God. He perfectly embodied wisdom and came to you and I in the foolishness of our sin to set us free from the death that woman folly was luring us into. Paul wrestled with the foolishness of his own sin in Romans 7. And you can almost hear him shouting. I told the first service, I think sometimes we read the Bible like it's boring, don't we? Go to Romans 7 and read it at the very end when Paul is wrestling with his flesh and with his spirit life that's within him. He's wrestling with these things. And in verse 24, it's like he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You know what that image of a body of death is? The Roman soldiers would take these two guys who were fighting against them and when they captured them, if the one guy falls over here in battle, he would take his body and they would tie it to my own. And my buddy who fell in battle, I would have to wear him around a body of death literally on my body, carrying around his rotting, decaying corpse. And it was breaking me down mentally and breaking me down emotionally and spiritually and socially. And Paul is crying out with this image, who will cut the bonds of my foolishness of sin? Who will set me free from this body of death? What does he say? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, the message of the gospel reminds us that the hero of this book who embodied wisdom came to rescue you and rescue me from this trap where we have followed woman folly into the own grave of our sin. He perfectly lived a wise life that you and I failed to live on our own and he paid the price for our folly on the cross so that he can offer you his chokmah, his wisdom, and he can offer it to you for free through a relationship with himself. So let me go back to the question that I started this with this morning. It's this. What if you're not defined by what you know? What if you're not defined by the information that you have stored up in your mind, the theology, the words, the sermons that you've heard? What if being a professional sermon listener really doesn't define me, but what if I'm defined by what I love and what I desire? My hope and my prayer for you and for myself as we go through this study in Proverbs is this. As we study this word and we see what wisdom is, that it is found in Christ as we walk with him, my prayer is that our fleshly desires would be removed. That God would take the scalpel of the word and cut them out like a cancer. Those desires would be removed and the desire for Christ, more, greater, stronger, deeper, would replace that in our lives because he became wisdom for us. And he is the only one who can help us navigate this life with skill, beauty, precision, and godliness. He is wisdom to us.